Chapters twenty one and twenty two of Gretchen by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty one Mrs. Tracy's Diamonds. Mrs. Tracy was going to have a party, not a general one like that which she gave when our readers first knew her, and Harold Hastings stood at the head of the stairs and bade the ladies go this way and the gentlemen that since she had become a leader of fashion she had ignored general parties and limited her invitations to a select few which on this occasion numbered about sixty or seventy but the entertainment was prepared as elaborately as if hundreds had been expected and the hostess was radiant in satin and lace and diamonds as she received her guests and did the honours of the occasion the september night was soft and warm and the grounds were lighted up while quite a crowd collected near the house to hear the music and watch the proceedings mrs tracy would have liked to have jerry in the upper hall where harold had once stood it would help to keep the child in her place she thought but her husband promptly vetoed the proposition saying that when jerry crawford came to the park house to an entertainment it would be as a guest and not as a waiter so a coloured boy stood in the upper hall and a coloured boy stood in the lower hall and there were coloured waiters everywhere and dolly had never been happier or prouder in her life for governor markham and his wife from iowa were there and a judge's wife from springfield all guests of grace atherton and in consequence hidden to the party another remarkable feature of the evening was the presence of arthur in the parlours he had known both governor markham and his wife ethelyn grant and had been present at their wedding and it was mostly on their account that he had consented to join in the festivities jerry it is true had done a great deal toward persuading him to go down repeating in her own peculiar way what she had heard people say with regard to his seclusion from society you just make a hermit of yourself she said cooped up here all the time i don't wonder folks say you are crazy it is enough to make anybody crazy to stay in one or two rooms and see nobody but charles and me just dress yourself in your best clothes and go down and be somebody and don't talk of gretchen all the time i am tired of it and so is everybody give her a rest for one evening and show the people how nice you can be if you only have a mind to jerry delivered this speech with her hands on her hips and with all the air of a woman of fifty while arthur laughed immoderately and promised her to do his best not to disgrace her jerry's anxiety was something like that of a mother for a child whose ability she doubts and after her supper was over she took her way to the park-house to see that arthur was dressed properly for the occasion it would be like him to go without his necktie and wear his everyday boots she thought but she found him as faultlessly gotten up as he well could be in his old-fashioned evening dress which sat rather loosely upon him for he had grown thinner with each succeeding year jerry thought him splendid and watched him admiringly as he left the room and started for the parlours with her last injunction ringing in his ears not a word out of your head about gretchen but try and act as if you were not crazy i'll do it jerry don't you worry he said to her with a little reassuring nod as he descended the stairs and he kept his promise well there was no word out of his head about gretchen and no one ignorant of the fact would ever have suspected that his mind was unsettled as he moved among the guests talking to one and another with that pleasant courtly manner so natural to him a very close observer however might have seen his eyes dilate and even flash with some sudden emotion when his brother's wife passed him and her brilliant diamonds sparkled in the bright gaslight the setting was rather peculiar but mrs tracy liked it for the peculiarity and had never had it changed 
she was very proud of her diamonds they were so large and clear and she had the satisfaction of knowing that there were no finer if as fine in town she seemed to know too just in what light to place herself in order to show them to the best advantage and at times the gleams of fire from them were wonderful and once arthur put his hand before his eyes as she passed him and muttering something to himself moved quickly to another part of the room this was late in the evening and soon after he excused himself to those around him saying it was not often that he dissipated like this and as he was growing tired he must say good-night the next morning charles found him looking very pale and worn with a bad pain in his head he had not slept at all he said and would have his coffee in bed after which charles was to leave him alone and not come back until he rang for him as he might possibly fall asleep it was very late that morning when the family breakfasted and as they lingered around the table discussing the events of the previous night it was after eleven o'clock when at last mrs tracy went up to her room as she ascended the stairs she caught a glimpse of harold disappearing through a door at the lower end of the hall evidently with the intention of going down the back stairway and making his exit from the house by the rear door rather than the front mrs tracy knew that he was sometimes sent by his grandmother on some errand to arthur and giving no further thought to the matter went on to her own room which her maid had put in order all the paraphernalia of last night's toilet was put away diamonds and all contrary to her usual custom for she was very careful of her diamonds and very much afraid they would be stolen she had left them in the box on her dressing bureau but they were not there now sarah who knew where she kept them had put them away of course and she gave them no more thought until three days later when she received an invitation to a lunch party at briar hill i shall wear my dark blue satin and diamonds she said to her maid who was dressing her hair but the diamonds when looked for were not in their usual place sarah had not put them away nor in fact had she seen them at all for they were not upon the bureau when she went to arrange her mistress's room the morning after the party the diamonds were gone nor could any amount of searching bring them to light and mrs tracy grew cold and sick and faint and finally broke down in a fit of crying as she explained to her husband that her beautiful diamonds were stolen she called it that now and the whole household was roused and questioned as to when and where each had last seen the missing jewels but no one had seen them since they were in the lady's ears and she knew she had left them upon her bureau when she went down to breakfast she was positive of that no one had been in the room or that part of the house except tom fred raymond charles and sarah of these the first two were not to be thought of for a moment while the last two had been in the family for years and were above suspicion clearly then it was someone from outside who had watched his or her opportunity and come in had any one been seen about the house at that hour frank asked and charles remembered having met harold hastings coming out of the rear door but he added i would sooner suspect myself than him and this was the verdict of all except mrs tracy who now recalled the fact that she too had seen harold sneaking through the door as if he did not wish to be seen that was the way she expressed herself and her manner had in it more meaning even than her words what was harold doing in the house what was his errand does any one know she asked but no one volunteered any information until charles suggested that he probably came on some errand to mr arthur he would inquire he said and he went at once to his master's room arthur was sitting by his writing-desk busy with a letter and did not turn his head when charles asked if he remembered whether harold hastings had been to his room the morning after the party no i have not seen him for more than a week was the reply 
but he must have been here that morning charles continued try and think i tell you no one was here i am not quite demented yet now go don't you see you are interrupting me was arthur's rather savage response and without having gained any satisfactory information charles returned to the group anxiously awaiting him well was mrs tracy's sharp interrogatory to which charles responded he does not remember what happened that morning but that is not strange he was very tired and unusually excited after the party and when he is that way he does not remember anything harold might have been there a dozen times and he would forget it bring the boy then he will know what he was doing here was mrs tracy's next peremptory remark and her husband said to her reproachfully surely you do not intend to charge him with the theft i charge no one with the theft until it is proven against him but i must see the boy and know what he was doing here i never liked this free running in and out by those people in the lane i always knew something would come of it mrs tracy said and charles was dispatched for harold he found him mowing the lawn for a gentleman whose premises joined tracy park and without any explanation told him that he was wanted immediately at the park house but it is noon harold said glancing up at the sun and there is jerry coming to call me to dinner better come at once jerry can go with you if she likes charles said feeling intuitively that in the little girl harold would find a champion harold left his lawn-mower and explaining to jerry that he had been summoned to the park-house whither she could accompany him if she chose he started with her and charles whom he questioned as to what was wanted with him were you in the park-house the morning after the party that would be tuesday charles asked yes i went to see mr arthur tracy but could get no answer to my knock harold promptly replied while his face flushed scarlet and he seemed annoyed at something he could not explain to charles his motive in going to see arthur as now that the first burst of indignation was over he felt half ashamed of it himself on the afternoon of the day of the party he had been at grassy spring helping mrs st clair with her flowers and after his work was done he had gone with dick into the billiard-room where they found tom tracy and his friend young raymond they had come over for a game and the four boys were soon busily engaged in the contest harold who had often played with dick and was something of an expert proved himself the most skilful of them all greatly to the chagrin of tom who had not recognized him even by a nod dick on the contrary had introduced him to fred raymond with as much ceremony as if he had been the governor's son instead of the boy who sometimes worked in his mother's flower garden and the kentuckian had taken him by the hand and greeted him cordially with a familiar howdy hastings glad to make your acquaintance there was nothing snobbish about fred raymond whose every instinct was gentlemanly and kind and harold felt at ease with him at once and all through the game appeared at his best and quite as well bred as either of his companions when the play was over dick excused himself a moment as he wished to speak with his father who was about driving to town as he stayed away longer than he had intended doing tom grew restless and angry too that fred should treat harold hastings as an equal for the two had at once entered into conversation comparing notes with regard to their standing in school and discussing the merits of cicero and virgil the latter of which harold had just commenced we can't wait here all day for dick tom said let us go out and look at the pictures so they went down the stairs to a long hall in which many pictures were hanging some family portraits and others copies of the old masters which mr st clair had brought from abroad near one of the portraits fred lingered a long time commenting upon its beauty and the resemblance he saw in it to little nina st clair the daughter of the house and whose aunt the original had been 
the portrait was not far from the stairway which led to the billiard-room and harold who had remained behind and was listlessly knocking the boss could not help hearing all that was said by the way who is that hastings i don't think i have seen him before he is a right clever chap fred raymond said and tom replied in that sneering contemptuous tone which harold knew so well and which always made his blood boil and his fingers tingle with a desire to knock the speaker down oh that's hal hastings a poor boy who does chores for us and the st clairs his grandmother used to work at the park house and so uncle arthur pays for his schooling and hal allows it which i think right small in him i wouldn't be a charity student anyway if i never knew anything besides that what's the use of education to chaps like him better stay as he was born i don't believe in educating the masses do you of himself tom could never have thought of all this but he had heard it from his mother who frequently used the expression not to elevate the masses forgetting that she was once herself a part of the mass which she would not have elevated just what fred said in reply harold did not hear there was a ringing in his ears and he felt as if every drop of blood in his body was rushing to his head as he sat down smarting cruelly under the wound he had received he had more than once been taunted with his poverty and dependence upon mr tracy but the taunts had never hurt him so before and he could have cried out in his pain as he thought of tom's words and knew that in himself there was the making of a far nobler manhood than tom tracy would ever know was poverty which one could not help so terrible a disgrace an inseparable barrier to elevation and was it mean and small in him to accept his education from a man on whom he had no claim possibly and if so the state of things should not continue he would go to arthur tracy thank him for all he had done and tell him he could receive no more from him that if he had an education he must get it himself by the work of his own hands and thus be beholden to no one full of this resolution he went down the stairs and out into the open air which cooled his hot head a little though it was still throbbing terribly as he went through the leafy woods toward home in the lane he saw jerry coming toward him with her sunbonnet hanging down her back the moment she saw him she knew something was the matter and hastening her steps to a run asked him what had happened and why he looked so white and angry harold was sure of sympathy from jerry and he told her his story which roused her to a high pitch of indignation the miserable nasty sneaking tom she said stopping short and emphasizing each adjective with a stamp of her foot as if she were trampling upon the offending tom i wish i had heard him i'd have scratched his eyes out talking of you as if you were dirt i hate him and i told him so the other day and spit at him when he tried to kiss me kiss you tom tracy kiss you harold exclaimed forgetting his own grief in this insult to jerry for it seemed to him little less than profanity for lips like tom tracy's to touch his little jerry no he didn't but he tried right before that boy from kentucky but i wriggled away from him and bit him too and he called me a cat and said he guessed i wouldn't mind if you or dick st clair tried to kiss me and i shouldn't but i'll fight him and bill peterkin every time i wonder why all the boys want to kiss me so much i expect it is because you have just the sweetest mouth in the world harold said stooping down and kissing the lips which seemed made for that use alone this little episode had helped somewhat to quiet harold's state of mind but did not change his resolve to speak to mr tracy and tell him that he could not receive any more favours from his hands he would however wait until the morrow as jerry bade him do 
you will worry him so that he will be crazier than a loon at the party she said and so harold waited but started for the park the next morning as soon as he thought mr tracy would see him he had rung at the door of the rear hall but as no one heard him he ventured in as he had done sometimes before when sent for jerry if it rained and ascending the stairs to the upper hall knocked two or three times at arthur's door first gently and then louder as there came no response he cannot be there and i must come again he thought as he retraced his steps reaching the door at the lower end of the hall just as mrs tracy came up the broad staircase on her way to her room as the day wore on and the next and the next harold began to care less for tom's insult and to think that possibly he had been hasty in his determination to decline arthur's assistance especially as he meant to pay back every dollar when he was a man he would at all events wait a little he thought and so had made no further effort to see mr tracy when charles found him and told him he was wanted at the park-house chapter twenty two searching for the diamonds they went directly to mrs tracy's room where they found that lady in a much higher fever of excitement than when she first discovered her loss all the household had assembled in the hall and in her room except arthur who sat in his library occasionally stopping to listen to the sound of the many voices and to wonder why there was so much noise tom was there with his friend fred raymond anxiously awaiting the arrival of harold whose face wore a look of wonder and perplexity which deepened into utter amazement as mrs tracy angrily demanded of him what his business was in the hall on tuesday morning when she saw him sneaking through the door where had you been and did you see my diamonds somebody has stolen them she said while harold stared at her in utter astonishment somebody's stolen your diamonds he repeated without the shadow of an idea that she could in any way connect him with a theft nor would the idea have come to him at all if tom had not said with a sneer better own up hal and restore the property it is your easiest way out of it then he comprehended and had tom knocked him senseless the effect could not have been greater with lips as white as ashes and fists tightly clenched he stood shaking like a leaf unable to speak until his eyes fell upon jerry whose face was a study she had thrown her head forward and on one side and was looking intently at tom tracy while her blue eyes flashed fire and her whole attitude was like that of a tiger ready to pounce upon its prey and when harold said faintly ask jerry she knows she did pounce upon tom not bodily but with her tongue pouring out her words so rapidly and mingling with them so much german that it was almost impossible to understand all she said you miserable good-for-nothing nasty fellow she began do you dare accuse harold of stealing you who are not fit to tie his shoes and do you want to know why he was here that morning i can tell you but no i won't tell you i won't speak to you i'll never speak to you again and if you try to kiss me as you did the other day i'll i'll scratch out every single one of your eyes you twit harold of being poor and call him a charity what are you but a charity yourself i'd like to know is this your house no sir it is mr arthur's everything is mr arthur's and if you don't quit being so mean to harold i'll tell him every single nasty thing i know about you then see what he will do as jerry warmed with her subject every look every gesture and every tone of her voice was like arthur's and frank watched her with a fascination which made him forget everything else until she turned suddenly to him and in her own peculiar style and language told him why harold had come to the park-house that morning when the diamonds were missing i advised him to come 
she said with the air of a grown woman and i said i'd stand by him and i will for ever and ever amen the words dropped from her lips the more naturally perhaps because she had used them once before with reference to the humiliated boy to whose pale set face there came a smile as he heard them again and stretching out his hand he laid it on jerry's head with a caressing motion which told plainer than words could have done of his affection for and trust in her what more jerry might have said was prevented by the appearance of a new actor upon the scene in the person of arthur himself he had borne the noise and confusion as long as he could and then had rung for charles to inquire what it meant but charles was too much absorbed with other matters to heed the bell though it rang three times sharply and loudly at last as no one came and the bustle outside grew louder and jerry's voice was distinctly heard excited and angry arthur started to see for himself what had happened oh mr arthur jerry cried as she caught sight of him coming down the hall i was just going after you to come and turn tom out of doors and everybody else who says that harold took mrs tracy's diamonds she has lost them and tom but here she was interrupted by tom himself who always afraid of his uncle and now more afraid than ever because of the peculiar look in his eyes stammered out that he had not accused harold nor any one that he only knew the diamonds were gone and could not have gone without help do you mean those stones your mother flashed in my eyes last night serves her right if she has lost them arthur said without manifesting the slightest interest or concern in the matter but when jerry began her story which she told rapidly in german he became excited at once and his manner was that of a maniac as he turned fiercely upon tom denouncing him as a coward and a liar and threatening to turn him from the house if he dared harbour such a suspicion against harold hastings i'll turn you all into the street he continued if you are not careful and bring harold and jerry here to live then see if i can have peace diamonds indeed gretchen's diamonds too if they are lost search the house but never accuse harold again at this point arthur wandered off into german which no one present could understand except jerry who stood holding fast to his arm her face flushed and triumphant at harold's victory and tom's defeat but as the tirade in german went on she started suddenly forward and with clasped hands and staring eyes stood confronting arthur until he ceased speaking and with a wave of his hand signified that he was through and his audience dismissed jerry however did not move but stood regarding him with a frightened questioning expression on her face which was lost upon the spectators who were too much interested in the all-absorbing topic to notice any one particularly tom was the first to go away and his example was followed by all the servants except charles who succeeded in getting his master back to his room and quieting him somewhat though he kept talking to himself of diamonds and paris and gretchen who he said should not be wronged i am sorry this thing has happened i have no idea that you know anything of the matter i would as soon suspect my own son frank said to harold as he was leaving the house with this grain of comfort the boy went slowly home humiliated and cut to the heart with the indignity put upon him while jerry walked silently at his side until they were nearly home when she said suddenly i believe i know where the diamonds are it was a habit of jerry's to know something about everything and as harold had no idea that she could know anything of the diamonds he scarcely noticed her remark which recurred to him years after when the diamonds came up to confront him again it did not take long for the whole town to know of mrs tracy's loss the papers were full of it 
the neighbours talked of it constantly and two detectives were employed to work the matter up and discover the thief if possible a thorough search was also made at the park house every servant was examined and cross-examined and all their trunks and boxes searched every nook and corner and room was gone through in the most systematic order even to arthur's apartments this last was merely done as a matter of form and to let the indignant servants see that no partiality was shown the officers explained to arthur who at first refused to let them in but who finally opened the door himself and bade them go where they liked half hidden among the cushions of the sofa from which arthur had risen when he let the officers in and to which he returned again was jerry her face pale to her lips and her eyes like the eyes of some hunted animal when she saw the policeman cross the threshold after her return home the previous day she had been unusually taciturn and had taken no part in the conversation relative to the missing diamonds but just before going to bed she said to harold what will they do with the one who took the diamonds if they find him send him to state's prison harold answered and what do they do to them in state's prison jerry continued cut their hair off make them eat bread and water and mush and sleep on a board and work awful hard was harold's reply given at random and without the least suspicion why the question had been asked jerry said no more but the next morning she started for the park house which she knew was to be searched and going to mr arthur's room looked him wistfully in the face and she asked in a whisper are they found found what found he said as if all recollection of the missing jewels had passed entirely from his mind mrs tracy's diamonds which you gave her was jerry's answer for a moment arthur looked perplexed and bewildered and confused and seemed trying to recall something which would not come at his bidding i don't know anything about it he said at last i don't seem to think of anything my head is so thick with all the noise there was here yesterday and the tumult this morning search warrants charles says and two strange men driving up so early who are they jerry police come to search everybody and everything ain't you afraid jerry said afraid no why should i be afraid why child how white you are and what makes you tremble so you didn't take the diamonds was arthur's response as he drew the little girl close to him and looked into her pallid face mr arthur jerry began very low as if afraid of being heard if i should give maud something for her own and she should keep it a good while and then some day i should take it from her when she did not know it and hide it and not give it up would that be stealing certainly why do you ask jerry did not say why she asked but put the same question to him she had put to harold if they find the one who took the diamonds will they send him to state's prison undoubtedly they ought to and cut off his hair she was threading arthur's luxuriant locks caressingly and almost pityingly with her fingers as she asked the last question to which he replied shortly yes and make him eat bread and water and mush yes i believe so and sleep on a board yes or something as bad and make him work awful hard until his hands are blistered now she had in hers arthur's hands soft and white as a woman's and seemed to be calculating how much hard work it would take to blister hands like these yes work till his hands drop off arthur said with a shudder she continued i could not bear it could you bear it no i should die in a week why what does ail you you are shaking like a leaf what are you afraid of i don't know 
only state's prison seems so terrible and they are looking everywhere what if they should come in here come in here impossible unless they break the door down arthur replied and then jerry said to him if they do suppose you lie down and let me cover you with the afghan and cushions but i don't want to lie down and be smothered with cushions arthur returned puzzled and wondering at the excitement of the child who nestled close to his side and held fast to his hand as if she were guarding him or expected him to guard her while the examination went on outside and the frightened and angry servants submitted to having their boxes and trunks examined at last footsteps were heard on the stairs and the sound of strange voices mingled with that of frank who was protesting against his brother's room being entered you will lose every servant you have if we do not serve all alike was the answer then frank knocked at his brother's door and asked admittance we must do it to pacify the servants he said as arthur refused bidding him to go about his business after a little further expostulation arthur arose and unlocking the door bade them enter and look as long as they pleased and where they pleased it was a mere matter of form for not a drawer or box was disturbed but jerry's breath came in gasps and her eyes were like saucers as she watched the men moving from place to place and then looked timidly at arthur to see how he was taking it he took it very coolly and when it was over and the men were about to leave he bade them come again as often as they liked they would always find him there ready to receive them but the diamonds nix this last he said to jerry who the moment they were alone and he had seated himself beside her put her head on his arm and burst into a hysterical fit of crying why jerry what is it why are you crying so he asked in much concern oh i don't know she sobbed only i was so scared all the time they were in the room what if they had found them what if they should think that that i took them and should send me to prison and cut off my hair and make me eat bread and water and mush which i hate arthur looked at her a moment and then with a view to comfort her said laughingly they would not send you to prison for i would go in your stead would you could you i mean could somebody go for another somebody if they wanted to ever so much jerry asked eagerly as she lifted her tear-stained face to arthur's without clearly understanding her meaning and with only a wish to quiet her arthur answered at random certainly have you never heard of people who gave their life for another's so why not be a substitute and go to prison if necessary yes jerry answered with a long-drawn breath and the cloud lifted a little from her face after a moment however she asked abruptly suppose the one who took the diamonds will not give them up and somebody else knows where they are ought that somebody else tell certainly or be an accessory to the crime was arthur's reply jerry did not know at all what an accessory was but it had an awful sound to her and she asked what do they do to an accessory punish her him i mean just the same yes of course arthur said never dreaming of the wild fancy which had taken possession of her that one could go to prison in another's stead and that an accessory would be punished equally with the criminal were the two ideas distinct in her mind when she at last arose to go saying to arthur as she stood in the door you are sure you are not afraid to have them come here again if they take it into their heads to do so not in the least they can search my rooms every day and welcome if they like was arthur's reply well that beats me 
jerry said aloud to herself with a nod for every word as she went down the stairs and started for home taking the tramp house on her way i guess i'll go in there and think about it she said and entering the deserted building she sat down upon the bench and began to wonder if she could do it if worst came to worst as it might yes i could for him and i'll never tell i'll be that thing he said and a substitute too if i can she thought though i guess it would kill me oh i hope i shan't have to do it i mean to say a prayer about it anyway and kneeling down in the damp dark room jerry prayed first that it might never be found out and second that if it were she might not be called to account as an accessory but might have the courage to be the substitute and stand by him for ever and ever amen i may as well begin to practice and see if i can bear it she thought as she walked slowly home where she astonished mrs crawford by asking her to make some mush for dinner mush why child i thought you hated it mrs crawford exclaimed i did hate it jerry replied but i want it now real bad make it for me please harold likes it don't you hallie harold did like it very much and so the mush was made and jerry forced herself to swallow it in great gulps and made up her mind that she could not stand that any way she preferred bread and water so for supper she took bread and water and nothing else and went up to bed as unhappy and nervous as a healthy growing child well could be she had tried the mush and the bread and water and now she meant to try the shorn head which was the hardest of all for she had a pride in her hair which so many had told her was beautiful standing before her little glass with the lamp beside her she looked at it admiringly for a while turning her head from side to side to see the bright ringlets glisten then with an unsteady hand she severed one by one the shining tresses on which her tears fell like rain as she gathered them in a paper and put them away wondering if the prison shears would cut closer or shorter and wondering if it would make any difference that she was only a substitute or at most an accessory it was a strange idea which had taken possession of her and a senseless one but it was terribly real to her and that little shorn head represented as noble and complete a sacrifice as was ever made by older and wiser people there was no hard board to sleep upon and so she took the floor with a pillow under her head and a blanket over her wondering the while if this were not a more luxurious couch than convicts who had stolen diamonds were accustomed to have why jerry what have you done and oh jerry how you look were the ejaculatory remarks which greeted her next morning when she went down to her breakfast of bread and water for she would take nothing else why did you do it mrs crawford asked a little angry and a good deal astonished but jerry only answered at first with her tears as harold jeered at her forlorn appearance and called her a picked chicken maud's hair is short and all the girls and mine was always in my eyes and snarled awfully she said at last and this was all the excuse she would give for what she had done while for her persisting in a bread-and-water diet she would give no reason for three or four days then she said to harold you told me that the one who stole the diamonds would have to eat bread-and-water and have his head shaved and i am trying to see how it would seem am playing that i am the man and in prison but i find it very hard i don't believe i can stand it i am so tired and hungry and the blackberry pie we had for dinner did look so good she put her hands to her head and looked so white and faint that harold was alarmed and took her at once to his grandmother who scarcely less frightened than himself made her lie down and brought her a piece of toast and a cup of milk which revived her a little 
but the strain upon her nerves for the last few days and the fasting on bread and water proved too much for the child who for a week or more lay up in her little room burning with fever and talking at intervals of diamonds and state's prison and accessories and substitutes every day arthur came and sat for an hour by her bed and held her hot hands in his and listened to her talk and wondered at her shorn head which he did not like as he always talked to her in german while she answered in the same tongue no one knew what they said to each other though harold who understood a few german words knew that she was talking of the diamonds and the prison and the substitute i shall never tell she said to arthur and i shall go i can bear it better than you it is not that which makes my head ache so it's oh mr arthur i thought you so good and i am so sorry about the diamonds mrs tracy was so proud of them can't you contrive to get them back to her i could if you would let me i am thinking all the time how to do it and never let her know and the back of my head aches so when i think arthur could not guess what she meant except that the lost diamonds troubled her and that she wished mrs tracy to have them occasionally his brows would knit together and he seemed trying to recall something which perplexed him and which her words had evidently suggested to his mind cherry he said to her one day when he came as usual and her first eager question was have they found them cherry try and understand me do you know who took the diamonds instantly into jerry's eyes there came a scared look but she answered unhesitatingly yes don't you no was the prompt reply though it seems to me i did know but there has been so much talk about them and you are so sick that everything has gone from my head and the bees are stinging me frightfully where are the diamonds but by this time jerry was in the prison sleeping on a board and eating bread and mush and arthur failed to get any satisfaction from her indeed they were two crazy ones talking together with little or no meaning in what they said only this arthur gathered that jerry would be happy if mrs tracy had her diamonds again and did not know how they came to her when this dawned upon him he laughed aloud and kissing her hot cheek said to her i see i know and i'll do it wait till i come again it was ten o'clock in the morning when he left mrs crawford's house there was a train which passed the station at half-past ten bound for new york and without returning to the park arthur took the train sending word to his brother not to expect him home until the next day and not to be alarmed on his account as he was going to new york and would take care of himself why he had gone frank could not guess and he waited in much anxiety for his return it was evening when he came home seeming perfectly composed and well but giving no reason for his sudden journey to the city his first inquiry was for jerry and his second if anything had been heard of the diamonds on being answered in the negative he remarked those rascally detectives are bunglers and oftentimes would rather let the culprit escape than catch him i doubt if you ever see the jewels again but no matter it will all come right tell your wife not to fret the next morning when mrs tracy went to her room after breakfast she was astonished to find upon her dressing bureau a velvet box with tiffany's name upon it and inside an exquisite set of diamonds not as fine as those she had lost or quite as large but white and clear and sparkling as she took them in her hand with a cry of delight and ran to her husband both knew from whom they came and both went at once to arthur who to his sister-in-law's profuse expressions of gratitude replied indifferently don't bother me with thanks it worries me i bought them to please the little girl who talks about them all the time 
she will get well now i am going to tell her jerry was better and perfectly sane and when she awoke that morning her first rational question had been for arthur and her second for the diamonds were they found and if not were they still looking for them no they have not found them harold had said and the officers are still hunting for the thief while the papers are full of the reward offered to any one who will return them five hundred dollars now for mr arthur has added two hundred to the first sum he was quite waked up to the matter you know he seemed very indifferent at first mr arthur offered two hundred more jerry exclaimed well that beats me he must be crazy of course he is he don't know what he does or says half the time and especially since you have been sick harold said sick jerry repeated quickly have i been sick and is that why i am in bed so late i thought you had come in to wake me up and i was glad for i have had horrid dreams harold told her how long she had been sick and you've been crazy too as a loon he continued and talked the queerest things about state's prison and hard boards and bread and water and accessories and substitutes and so on mr arthur was here every day and sometimes twice a day but he did not come yesterday at all there hark i do believe he is coming now don't you know who is said to be near when you are talking about him and with a laugh harold left the room just as arthur entered it well cherry he said mrs crawford tells me the bees are out of your head this morning and i am glad i have some good news for you mrs tracy has some diamonds and is the happiest woman in town jerry had not noticed his exact words and only understood that mrs tracy had found her diamonds oh mr arthur i am so glad she cried and springing up in bed she threw both arms around his neck and held him fast while she sobbed hysterically there there child cherry let go you throttle me you are pulling my necktie all askew and my head spins like a top arthur said as he unclasped the clinging arms and put the little girl back upon her pillow where she lay for a moment pale and exhausted with the light of a great joy shining in her eyes did she know where they came from how did you manage it are you sure she did not suspect she asked i put them on her dressing bureau while she was at breakfast he replied and when she came up there they were large solitaire earrings and a bar with five stones not quite as large or as fine as the ones she lost but the best i could find at tiffany's why jerry what is the matter you do not look glad a bit i thought you wanted me to give them to her surreptitiously and i did he added as the expression of jerry's face changed to one of dismay and disappointment i did i do she said but i meant her very own the ones you gave her for a moment arthur sat looking at her with a perplexed and troubled expression as if wondering what she could mean and why he had so utterly failed to please her then he said slowly the ones i gave her what do you mean you make my head swim trying to remember and the bumblebees are black-faced instead of white and stinging me dreadfully i wish you would say nothing more of the diamonds it worries me and makes me feel as if i were in a nightmare and i know nothing of them raising herself on her elbow and pointing her finger toward him in a half beseeching half threatening way jerry said as true as you live and breathe and hope not to be hung and choked to death don't you know where they are this was the oath which jerry's companions were in the habit of administering to each other in matters of doubt and she now put it to arthur as the strongest she knew of course not 
he answered with a little irritation in his tone what ails you cherry are you crazy like myself struggle against it don't let the bees get into your brain and swarm and buzz until you forget everything which you ought to remember and do things you ought not to do it is terrible to be crazy and half conscious of it all the time conscious that no one believes what you say or holds you responsible for what you do don't they jerry asked eagerly for she knew the meaning of the word responsible if a crazy man or woman took the diamonds and then forgot and did not tell and it was ever found out wouldn't they be punished certainly not was the reassuring reply don't you know how many murders are committed and the murderer is not hung because they say he is crazy in a moment the cloud lifted from jerry's face which grew so bright that arthur noticed the change and said to her you are better now i see and i must go before i undo it all good-bye and never say diamonds to me again it gets me all in a in a well a french pickle mixed you know he kissed her and promising to take her for a drive as soon as she was able went out and left her alone wondering why it was that his having given the diamonds to his sister-in-law had failed in its effect upon her and upon himself too for a long time after he was gone jerry lay thinking with her eyes closed so that if harold or her grandmother came in they would think her asleep mr arthur was certainly crazy at times very crazy she could swear to that and so could many others and if a crazy man was not responsible for his acts then he was not and the law would not touch him but with regard to the accessory she was not sure if that individual were not crazy why then he or she might be punished and as the taste she had had of bread and water and hard boards in the shape of the floor was not very satisfactory and as mrs tracy had other diamonds in the place of her lost ones she finally determined to keep her own counsel and never tell what she had heard arthur say that morning when the theft was discovered and he had talked so fast in german to her and to himself if she had known just where the diamonds were she might have managed to return them to their owner but she did not and her better course was to keep quiet hoping that in time mr arthur himself would remember and make restitution for that he had forgotten and was sincere in saying that he knew nothing of them she was certain and her faith in him which for a little time had been shaken was restored with this load lifted from her mind jerry's recovery was rapid and when the autumnal suns were just beginning to tinge the woodbine on the tramp-house and the maples in the park woods with scarlet she took her accustomed seat in arthur's room and commenced her lessons again with maud who had missed her sadly and who would have gone to see her every day during her sickness if her mother had permitted it End of chapters twenty one and twenty two